BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damon Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, breaking format yet again, and I have not one, but two guests from an amazing band. I have Frederick and Nicola from Mill and Colin, two friends of mine, two people that happen to play in an amazing band that I grew up being obsessed with and so yeah they came over to my house and more on that in a second but first if you want to get in touch with me head over to damienabraham.com there's an email address you can send me an email there uh if you are so inclined i battle with it you know i'm battle trying to get back to you so if you need to get in touch with me immediately head over to facebook.com if you use facebook and you can like that turned out a punk facebook page it's run by my brother tristan and you can send him a message he'll get the message to me and we can go from there. You can also go over to various forms of social media and follow me at Left for Damien. And uh, yeah, that'd be awesome and a great way to get in touch with me. And if you are wanting to support this show, a great way to do that would be by subscribing to this. If you use iTunes, you can do that. And then also if you use iTunes, how about rating this podcast and writing a review for it. If you don't use iTunes or if you don't feel like doing that, you can please tell your friends if you enjoy this podcast and help spread the word because 
because that's great. And then your friends will know about this podcast and they can listen. Also, if you do subscribe to this podcast, you will be kept abreast about all the other podcasts that are coming out in the Turned Out of Punk universe. And I'm not just talking about Footnotes, which is an amazing podcast hosted by myself and Chris O'Toole, where each week we go in-depth about the Turned Out of Punk episode and dissect it and talk about records and record pressings and bands and all sorts of weird stuff on that. There's a very active mailbag on that show and a fun community kind of around that show where people participate in the show. It's anyway, go check that one out. But no, I'm also talking about the other new podcast in this podcast universe, which is Tom Bryan and my clobbering time, which is a podcast dealing with pro wrestling. We will be having music guests on or guests from the world of music. I should say to talk about the sweet, sweet, sweet graps that pro wrestling that for some reason, a, I wouldn't say overwhelming number of musicians, but certainly a surprising number of musicians happen to be very excited about. So that should be a great podcast as it grows. You know, and I'm saying that as a member of that podcast, but you should listen to it because I think you might enjoy it if you do like pro wrestling. If you don't like pro wrestling, then don't download it. Do not download it. And don't worry. Eventually, it's going to be moved off this feed. So if you don't like wrestling, you will not have to think about wrestling until I have, of course, another pro wrestler on the show, which I plan on doing. Oh, my gosh. Do I plan on doing that? Uh, But not today, because today on the show, I have an amazing pair of guests from a band called Mill and Colin. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Mill and Colin, they are, I would say, one of the biggest punk bands out of Sweden. Definitely one of the biggest punk bands out of Sweden. They've won awards there. They've you know toured all over the world. And they are certainly one of my favorite bands to kind of come out of that melodic punk sound of the uh late nineties. I love this band. I'm still, you know, and I, I, I bring it up in this episode. I have all their CD EPs because they didn't put out a lot of vinyl, uh, early on, on my shelf still. And they are a great band. They can write one heck of a pop punk song. So I was a big fan. And then lo and behold, in high school, a friend of mine, Mike Vitorovich, a little bit older than me, but turns out his cousin was the lead singer of this band, Nicola. So I got to meet them when I was in high school and kind of had an in and uh, they gave me a hat and it was awesome. And so, yeah, fast forward, what is it, almost 20 years now? Yeah, probably 20 years now. Uh, I'm on tour with them in Australia. You know, I get to see them a lot and it's awesome and we are friends and how cool is that? So when they were in town uh, to visit Mike, uh, they said, let's do this. And I said, yes, please. And they came over to my house. Frederick and Nicola came here. We sat down, we discussed, and it is a fun conversation. And I, it really discusses a lot about a scene that I have always wanted to kind of know the germation of, which is the sort of nineties melodic hardcore scene in Sweden, which, you know, begets a lot of other stuff too, but we'll get into all that in this episode. So everyone, please sit back, relax, and enjoy a break-in format, but it's well worth it. Actually, before I do that, I should do the corrections. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I have uh, no idea if Johan Kugelberg actually signed Super Chunk. I say that in this. I don't know where I got it from. He was working at Matador at the time, but whether or not he was you know, actually key to the signing of Super Chunk, I do not know. 
So I don't know why I say that in here. Uh, also, uh, I have no idea what band I'm talking about that the lead singer No Fun At All was in because I cannot find any mention of it. I remember someone at a record store, I'm not going to say who it was, telling me that when I was a kid, but he might have been fucking with me as a kid because he had a tendency to do that back then. Also, it might be a tad bit confusing what's going on in this interview because there are so many people in the room. So the first person that you hear talk is Frederick, and then after that, you'll hear Nicola, and also Mike Vitorovich, my friend from high school, was in the room too. So you'll hear me refer to him just so you know kind of what's going on, you know, before it all happens. So So sit back, relax, and enjoy Frederick and Nicola from Millencolin on Turned Out a Punk. We can talk about records all day. <laughs> There's actually like a bunch of good records that was not too far from here too. So we should do a fast interview so we can go do that. <laughs> Guys, I want to thank you so much for coming here. This is like a huge thrill. Like, as Mike can attest in high school... This would be like a fantasy for me, having Mill and Colin in my house. Well, like, you know, two two members of Mill and Colin in my house. But that's two better than I had in high school. You know? <laughs> Thank you for having us. No, it's awesome it's to have you. Been We're big fans of your band. Well, I'm a massive fan of your band, so that's a big thing to hear. And all your bands. You're in multiple, multiple amazing bands. We can get into that. And also, you're in multiple amazing bands, too. Well, solo project and solo stuff, but then also precursor bands too exactly but we'll get into all that in a second but i guess I'm, it's weird now doing it with two people because i have like a weird format for the show that i always like to try and keep which is asking how you got into punk but with two of you here i guess i'm gonna have to do it twice yeah so or maybe our stories will be sort of linked maybe well i'm sure they will link up at a certain point yeah but i imagine they have two very different starting points of how you got into punk right Probably, uh, we never really talked about that, I guess. Do we know, <laughs> do we know how we actually met? Uh, through Eric and Matthias and the skateboarding thing. But this yeah. would have been before that, though, where you first heard about punk. Yeah, like, yeah, Which yeah. one of you, I guess, will, you know, without giving away your age, which one of you is older? That's me. So let's start with you first. <laughs> uh, I think my first memory is probably going to my, one of my cousins, I think I was like nine or ten. Okay. And I'd be like, yeah, that was like early 80s, 82, 83, something. And uh, he was all into heavy metal and all that stuff at first. And then this time when I got to him, he had his room, like, he had posters of all these punk bands, GBH, Exploited, and, and Discharge, and and naked girls <laughs> so i i just and i yeah, kept a mohawk and uh, i was just thinking what the hell is this this is he he's dangerous nowadays and he was a wrestler too so he was oh. always starting with wrestling me down and but i always he was kind of my 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 guy to ask about new music yeah <clears throat> so was metal like I guess metal was the dominant kind of music at that point, right? Was it a little bit or no? I my first band I got into really hard was was Iron Maiden. Okay, yeah. And so, but I used to ask him, what, can you tell me the difference between hard rock and heavy metal? What's it? Uh, forget about that. It's punk. That's the that's the new cool stuff. Yeah, Regare is a <laughs> bunch of motherfuckers now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I saw his posters of GBH and yeah. heard that stuff, and I. 
once I heard it, it wasn't that big of a difference from like the early Maiden stuff and, and that stuff. And then, but I, I continued to, to listen to heavy metal, I guess, until like 12, 13, maybe. And uh, I remember visiting, like, because uh, we were training school when we got like 14 years old. Like high school? Seventh grade, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we, uh, we went to their cafeteria and they were playing Astakask. Oh, fucking awesome. And, and Onkel Konkel, have you heard about that band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. No band sounds like that. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's a one-man project. Oh, it was one guy doing all that? Yeah. I've only heard it on a tape. Someone made me a, a crazy Swedish hardcore deep cut mixtape yeah. one time. Yeah, so that's when I when I, I I really got into punk hearing this, uh, like Astakask, yeah. the Swedish stuff. Yeah. And I, I fell in love with that directly then. And that, that must have been like 80... Eight, maybe. So I, I guess at that point, was that music, how popular would it have been in Sweden at the time? Like, was it like, it would have been like, like would it have been underground, I guess? Or was yeah. it like, yeah. 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 We had a place in our town where all these bands, I guess they came through there, but I didn't know about them until then. Yeah. Uh, Maggot. Yeah. Uh, all these bands. I mean, international bands too, like, you remember? Yeah, we, we saw Afghan Wigs. Uh, or, oh, uh, there was a lot of sh I mean, shows pretty much every weekend there. Yeah. yeah. And that's where, every, I mean, even though we didn't really go go to all the shows, we hung out outside and that's where all the punks met and, and you know, we were just drinking. And, and then for the last, I think, last, last half hour, they would actually open up the doors so you can get him for free and see this sort of encore uh, part of the shows and 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 some of the, those bands actually became later like we became fans of those bands like Afghan Weeks for instance the, the, I mean we didn't go to the show but we saw the encore and then Matthias got really hooked and then it became his favorite band and yeah. so that's so you should be kind of like go to any show just because that's the spot to hang out yeah, yeah. and let it take you what takes you, I think. Yeah, and if they were good, or you became a fan. Of, and I guess, of course, at some point you actually knew the bands before. Yeah, 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 mostly like the Swedish bands, like, you know, Union Carbide Productions. Yeah. yeah. Well, like that, I guess that's the... Because it's like sonically... You know, I like I obviously tend to associate Swedish hardcore with like you know that specific like buzzsaw Swedish kind of like DB influenced yeah, you yeah. know type thing. But then there's also like yeah, Union Carbine Productions, like a garage rock, like yeah. amazing rock band. That's also how yeah. much of the scenes kind of commingle at that point. Was it like we're like the same sort of kids? Would you have like the kids with the charged hair going to see them or no? I think it were kind of separated. Separate scenes, yeah, because yeah. the whole. Crust yeah. thing was uh, a scene by by its own. Yeah, yeah. Were, uh, could you like intermingle, or was it like if you were a crust kid, you were a crust kid, and you, you? I mean, you you could kind of like Astakask and, mm -hmm. and anti CMX mm -hmm. and, and and like them both. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it, I didn't I mean, really understand the crust part. Though. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was all about the the, the melodic bands and. and uh, so, so, but 
and you had some cross people who were looking down on the sort of yeah like a, a big impa and, and yeah 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 that was kind of the second wave of Swedish cross punk yeah <laughs> <laughs> like you know no security and yep. and uh, totalitarian yeah Not totalitarian they were early but no security and Roosevelt, Roosevelt, I think that early too. That single's fucking. The Sweden, oh. Sweden's poison idea. Yeah, <laughs> they are awesome. That single's incredible. Um, I, I, I guess also because we brought up Union Carbine Productions. Would you know Johan Kugelberg? You know the guy that would. Do you know Johan? Johan Kugelberg. He would uh, be the first A and R guy for Matador Records. Yeah, yeah. Well, his actually that's funny that you mentioned because infamous record collector. His he his brother. Is from Örebro. Oh, he is. Uh, and he's called. Well, and and he told me because we were massive Superchunk fans. Yeah, yeah. So, and and he told us that his brother was went to the states and worked for. Yeah, I think Örebro. he might have signed Superchunk too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that and, and, and but I, so I know his brother kind kind of a little bit. Oh, cool. Well, I guess this would be a great point, Nicola, to kind of turn it over to you. And what okay. did you? How did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you kind of came across it? Well, uh, I guess I first have to explain uh, uh, or tell how. I mean, back in the eighties is when I started to listen to music. Yeah. And uh, and in Sweden at that point, it was either you liked heavy metal, as Frederick just mentioned, or you liked. Uh, like pop music like Howard Jones and Duran Duran and that kind of yeah so it was very sort of divided and uh, uh, so and at that, that point when I was uh, maybe went first or second grade uh, my Canadian uh, cousin Michael's older brother he uh, he sent me or gave me a Jimi Hendrix vinyl, uh, Are You Experienced? So that was my first uh, vinyl, and then I got into Iron Maiden at, and Michael Jackson at the same time. So those are sort of three <laughs> uh, bands or artists I was into. But then, and then later in the second part of, of the 80s, I became, uh, uh, I started liking hip hop a lot okay rap music yeah, yeah. gangster rap like ice t public enemy and so i was into that a bit too uh also a lot thanks to my uh, canadian cousin was i guess yeah was it coming from your cousin who was sending you this stuff like was it on t swedish tv at that point or was it on Not, i mean sweden was still very much heavy metal and this synth as we say yeah yeah because yeah. now it's really obviously hip-hop's huge everywhere yeah, but yeah. there's a huge swedish now i mean i first got to hear about eric ben rakim and yeah and, and public animal was probably known but ice t yeah ice t power that album was a big uh <laughs> it was mind-blowing to me just to, to hear that so i was loading into that but then at the same time when, when i started seventh grade uh skateboarding came mm -hmm. and me and all my friends started, you know, skateboarding, and uh, and through skateboarding, we just all the skaters were into misfits, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Ramones and suicidal tendencies, and 
uh, bands like that. And so that's when I started to listen to, to uh, punk rock, I guess. And then the more we skated, uh, the more I found out about also the Swedish scene, like Astakask, Strebers, and those kind of melodic uh, Swedish punk bands. And, uh, and, and then later on, through the skateboard uh, videos and movies, we got more and more into American bands, Operation Ivy, and later on Battle Digit and, and No Facts and that whole thing. And then eventually we we started Millencon and uh, through that. And well, you're leaving out some steps. We're gonna get oh, okay. to, we gotta get some other steps there. You can't, we can't, on this show, we gotta yeah. talk about your obscure seven inches. That's like the bread okay. and butter of this thing. <laughs> but, well then, I mean, but one of the reasons why I, I actually got hooked on punk rock was actually not so much the international bands and the yeah. biggest Swedish bands. It, it was actually what was happening in the local scene. Cause mm -hmm. Some of the skateboarding guys that I got to know through skateboarding, I just realized that they were all creative and, and, and playing music. Mm -hmm. And not, you know, sort of uh, technical heavy metal stuff. It was actually something completely different. And when I heard the first uh, Sheik is Rebeller, uh, the singer from uh, The Accidents. Okay. Uh, like first band. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I heard that, that, that was for me the big sort of game-changing, well, the big moment for me. I just realized, this is so incredibly cool. He's actually writing songs about, you know, everything he sees around him and just making these amazing punk rock songs. And I just, just thought, if he can do this, because I realized it's not that complicated and the words were kind of genius, but still simple, I just realized if he can do it, maybe I can, you know. Had you I been can... playing, when did you start playing music? Like, when did you first play? <laughs> well, my two older brothers, they were the talented sort of guys in the family. They knew how to play guitars and they had bands and they were always... Were they in punk bands at all or no? Or... No, they, they were more, you know, they liked... My one brother was a huge Kiss fan. Okay, yeah. Which I thank him today for, because I, 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 I Could do that. worse. Yeah, yeah, I love Kiss now, yeah. uh, but then it, it was his band. Yeah, so <laughs> I couldn't touch it pretty much. But but then, so they were all into heavy metal basically, and had those bands. So and I just realized I I can't play guitar like that. It's never gonna happen. I was <laughs> and I was too lazy to practice the guitar, so I could basically play Smoke on the Water when when I got into punk rock. Well, that's more than I can play. Do you remember actually what was the actual first? band you went to first show you saw uh, a punk rock show yeah uh, I guess any concert was the first concert well, the, uh, my my first concert I thought I was gonna die actually uh, before I entered uh, the big stadium or big stadium it was uh, hockey stadium uh, Europe oh yeah Europe, uh, the final counter yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You were at that show too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't know each other. But it was crazy. Everyone was there, and 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 to me that was the, my first show. But then I think the first punk rock show was probably uh, one of those local punk rock shows, and it was yeah. I saw you, maybe you played. 
Up in Hovsta, a small yeah, yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll play there. Yeah. Well, I guess if I take it back to yourself, when do you remember going to your first punk rock show? Do you remember your very first show? Uh, I probably went to, to like the, the heavy metal shows, the big heavy metal shows yeah. first. And then... Do I, you remember uh, your very first I, show? I, I, ex I think it might have been a synth, synth show. Oh, awesome. Oh, uh, really? Uh, Indershine. The French band Indershine. Oh, yeah. And then Europe, and then Yngwie Malmsteen, and uh, those bigger... Because Sarah Blue is based very good. I mean, we have two hours to Stockholm. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Fagerstad put up amazing shows, too, like Freshman. Yeah, it's right in the middle, so you can get to a lot yeah. of towns and cities yeah. quite easily. And that, I guess there was the other thing is, you know, there's, you know, like everywhere else, there's such distinct punk scenes that kind of form in every city. And so I guess you had access to all of them, that, well, or not all of them. But I guess we Mia's kind of far. I guess we formed our own punks in. Yeah, and then you had your own. Yeah, we did. But, yeah. but, but I mean, we had contact with other cities yeah. and other distros, fanzines, and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And and we were always doing everything by ourselves. Well, how old were you when you first started playing music? Do you remember, like fourteen, fifteen, okay. maybe? And, and was it was it kind of a mix of punk, thrash. I didn't even know how to play. Yeah. Because I, I started this band. We gave it the, gave it the name Gastric Flu. Okay. <laughs> Before we even started to rehearse or anything. Yeah. But I remember the first time we we were supposed to rehearse and we got in there and our our set list was like Skulls and Misfits. Yeah. Hang the Pope by Nuclear Assault <laughs> and. Uh, Something more, United Forces by SOD. Oh, what a sick band! <laughs> but I, I had all these drums, but I mean, I had no clue how to play. So I just <laughs> went as fast as I could on the snare drum, and the other guys would just stop, <laughs> stop playing and looking at me. What, what are you doing? <laughs> and then some, some nice older guy there at the at the rehearsal space came in and showed me how the, a little. So, something. <laughs> so was it rehearsal space where you could just go and rent by the hour and they had like you, you, needed, you, you had to pay like a hundred bucks a year. Okay. And you get to, to access borrow. to. And this is one know, of the and recording the, their studio and everything. Yeah. yeah. And this is one of the things. Uh, I think it's a big reason why so many bands from Sweden can come out and actually record and, and, and be active because we have this system where you actually you get the more you rehearse you would fill in forms and just tell the the uh organization yeah that the you administrators, were yeah yeah that you were doing it like three times a week and and they would actually give you time in the studio oh that's awesome so yeah and you paid like a hundred bucks yeah, that's a yeah. that's a million times better yeah. system than we have in Canada for our supporting yeah. arts. As Mike and I can attest, the way it works here, yeah, I know. if you're an established artist, you get more money. So the yeah, more yeah. established you are, so it's not really helping these young bands. Yeah, and they had, I mean, the rehearsal rooms were, you know, you had the amps, you had the drums, everything was just there. You just yeah. came, came in and, 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 I mean, we didn't know, I didn't know how to, I, in in our first band, nobody knew how to play so and they were there you know the guys 
who were organizing it uh, were there, you know, drinking coffee and came in and like, yeah, showed us how to play the drums and, and that's to, awesome. tune the guitars and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, especially that part. That <laughs> it took us a while. I remember actually Pear from Bruce Banner and Protest Bank telling us about that system and just when we were like when we first played with Bruce Banner yeah. and just being like, oh my God, that sounds like such a great system to foster young musicians. Like yeah. there's a yeah. system for you to go in and have access to this sort of stuff. Whereas, you know, it's like now it's, there's so much startup cost to playing music. <laughs> like, yeah. You've got to get a guitar first. That costs a yeah, lot yeah. of money. Yeah, for us we just basically just one day just went in there and sort of signed the paper and then just started. That's awesome. So were like these older, were the older bands, like you mentioned, having contacts with some of these other bands, were they like mentoring you when you first started? Or no, not really? No, no, not really. Probably. No. As you said, we, we were kind of by our ourselves. Own, our own scene back in yeah. Odebrill. I mean, we were, I mean, there weren't really any other older punk rock bands. Because when we started, I mean, I looked up to you and your band, and you were the same age. Yeah. And, and that's what the sort of mentor thing came in I mean I went to hang out just watching you guys rehearse like just hearing those songs uh, and, and just sort of try to figure out how you guys you know played and and wrote the songs and and uh, and some uh, Dan Neval uh, uh, who was uh, one of the main guys had Shakers Rebelle as I mentioned before was later on accidents and, yeah and a lot of other bands that you yeah. probably know better. Yeah, Anstalt and uh, is this new band. Was he, he lives in Austria. Oh, Anstalt. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that guy, and and, and, and he was one of the you know top ten uh, skateboarders in Sweden too. Well, I guess that's the other thing is like Swedish hardcore is so after a certain point so tied to skateboarding. I guess not yeah, really the crust scene, but yeah, it 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 was all linked and but he actually wrote. When we started the band, we had the name, we had the, like the logos way before we started rehearsing. <laughs> so, uh, and I was actually not in the band, but they had been talking about Seigman, the band, yeah. for a while before they actually did something. So I I knew about it. I was, had seen the the stickers and 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 Daniel actually wrote our our first song. Oh really? Yeah. So like, and gave it to you. This is yeah, and this is how you do it, like sort of. A, <laughs> And we're like, okay, should you just you know, <laughs> take four random sort of note or chords? It wasn't really chords, but you know. Yeah. And, and just <laughs> and, and then and then there were uh, the guy in your band, uh, Håkansson, John. John, yeah. I think he actually made a system for writing those punk rock songs. You, you just took uh, dice, you know. <laughs> I wrote like, okay, six, and then four. Okay, so fourth, uh, like sixth thread, fourth string, like. <laughs> but hit that note and then the dice again and sort of and that's how we wrote <laughs> that's all, for real that's how you guys wrote I that I mean that's yeah is there are, are there songs on the 7 inch that are written like that no I don't know or maybe this, just this, this was earlier, earlier before yeah. so yeah what happened Gastric Flu you guys did you play shows as Gastric no, Flu no no we didn't uh, I I knew that I'm not going to be able to play like thrash metal and that speed metal, or yeah. whatever. So we we uh, split up the band and uh, I formed a band with with John, that guy with the dice, <laughs> and two other guys, and we started to play Swedish punk rock. What was that band called? Uh, Antibanados. Antibanados. Okay. 
And that and that that became Kung Fu. Okay. Did you guys uh, did you guys put out anything as the first? Uh, I think we did a a demo. a demo. A demo tape. So was that was there a big cassette culture? Because I guess uh, yeah. you and Colin's first two things are, are cassettes, and then also you guys did a cassette in the first band. You guys did you guys do a cassette as Kung Fu too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we actually did three in the first half year. In Millie Collin? No, uh, Seigman. And Seigman, you yeah. did three tapes? Yeah, well, the first one we put out, uh, we recorded in December, third one in June. Okay. Or in May, so. Wow, and then you did the seven, when did the seven inch, when was that recorded? That was during that first year, but in the summertime, so. During the first, I guess, like nine months, we, we or maybe even less, we recorded three demo tapes of like nine to ten songs. And then the seven inch. So when the seven inch, you guys self-released it, right? It, yeah, we, we we formed a, a sort of half fictive uh, uh, label called uh, KGB. Yeah, KGB Records. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you guys know to put out vinyl? Like, had you had you seen other bands do it? Like, had you guys were you on KGB too? No, 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 no. We had, we had our own thing. You had your own <laughs> self release too. The Pony Records. Yeah, and it came out first, right? <laughs> Yeah. Put it yours first? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And we just, I mean... Learn from... We learn, you know... I mean, yeah, yeah the, the tape thing was huge. Yeah. And that, I mean, even from the second half of the 80s, I was all into the tape trading mm -hmm. all around the world. Like, the yeah, thrash metal tapes and, and later the, like, the death metal stuff and mm -hmm. and that. So that was, I mean, that's that's how you do it. <laughs> I thought when we had a band and we got to we got to do a demo, yeah. send out to people. Yeah. And then uh, I, I don't know. I guess there was like a trading. There's a demo trading culture too in Swedish hardcore. Yeah. Um, like you know, like I guess there was like a lot because I guess it was connected to the thrash metal scene where it comes from because you don't really see it as much in. You know, there's like obviously mixtape culture, but not nearly the same idea of like trading demo tapes and making mixtapes with tons of demos on them. Is it more from the metal scene? Do you think that that kind of came? Yeah, out? I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, most of the punk bands they went straight to to singles. Yeah, to seven inches. Yeah, and I guess. Yeah, uh, but we did uh, demos was was the big yeah, thing for us because it was much cheaper. Yeah, yeah, and it was cool because and you, we could do everything ourselves. Yeah, you, and you would. Yeah, trade what well, you met other bands, but mostly just sell them at school and, and, and no, make some money to... To record the next one. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah, the same scam every band's using till this day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I guess I, 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 I probably... Somebody told me how to, to and where to... To get in touch to, to make the seven inches. Yeah. So we thought that nobody's going to put this out, so let's do it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. There was no label, like bigger, like real label that you could think of. Well, really? Or, or, I mean, like the really fast records? And well, stuff? I guess like you had Bird Nest and. But, but that, they were. In another league, like yeah. Yeah. those bands, Untouchables, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, de lyckliga kompisarna. Stuff like that. I guess, like, at what point do you guys kind of meet? Because you form Mill and Colin first, and you don't join until, like, the second year, right? No, I joined, like, uh, after a couple of months. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Are you on the first tape? No, okay. the second tape. The second tape, yeah. Okay. 
Well, uh, I mean, we met through when you had you had Anti Banadots and then you started Kung Pung. Yeah. yeah, that Kung Pung single is so raging. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. And I, I prefer the demo. I've, I've never heard the demo. Well, well actually, maybe I've, I've heard the just demos, the YouTube. But then tracks. again, the first demo is always the best. <laughs> <laughs> Not with my band. <laughs> Not with my. Not band. with my band either. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes it has to get a little. Sometimes there's growers, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, but we. Uh, I mean, you had Kung Pong and, and you had the demo, and, and you were one of the. The three big punk rock bands, it was Kung Pung, uh, Charles Hårfager, which Eric and the band was playing okay. and, and writing songs and playing guitar. What were they like? What was the vibe of that band? The same kind of style. Where does the melody come from? Like, you know, like in, because in, obviously like, you know, Mob 47 and NDC yeah, Next, it's like so well, blatant. We started Kung Pung, it was definitely from Astakask. Yeah, Astakask, yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I guess they were the, the, they were the melodic. Astakask and Strebers were the two. I mean, those were the two bands that you sort of looked up to, because they were kind of not too complicated. I mean, you could sort of figure out, and and the melodies were super catchy, and you could sort of figure out how they wrote those songs. At least, as a cask, Stavish had some guitar melodies that were kind of a bit more technical, but mm -hmm. very good. Uh, but then, and then you had Dom Lukjak, Kompisena, which was really really good. But that was like too technical. The, that guy was inspired by uh, classical music. Yeah. And we're like, whoa, this, this, we're never going to reach to this point. And, but so for me, it, it was more the three big local bands. As I mentioned, Kung Pung, Charles Hårfager, which is Eric's band, and then Shakey's Rebeller, which is uh, Dan Avalds. Yeah. And those were the three bands I looked up to. And then I had first had heard Shakespeare's first demo, and after that, Simon started, and we went to a show the day after I finished first grade in uh, high school. Okay. Uh, so like first year. Uh, so I, I'm actually 16, about to turn 17. Okay. And I'm not in the band, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just skating, and. Uh, and I go to the show to see, I think you played in Hofstad or... Yeah. Yeah, and Charles Horfager played and... And and, and then and there, uh, and that's my f first punk rock show actually. Okay. And uh, Matthias, also a Million Call member, who started Sigman, but they had only rehearsed like twice. Uh, he asked me, do you want to... We need, because the singer can't play bass and sing. Well, he can't do neither, but... but <laughs> At this point, he just figured out we need someone who can actually play the bass and let him just sing. Yeah. So and he knew that my you know brothers could play guitar, so he figured that I was you know talented enough and I was it's in the jeans. And I was in the skateboarding scene, and we were friends, so it was a natural thing yeah. for me to ask for him to ask me, and and, and that's how I started uh, playing in in Seigman. But at that point, I, I don't think, and then eventually. Like a few months afterwards, we this is the summer of '91, and in December we record our first uh, demo, and 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 then we sort of that's how I uh, get to meet you guys in Kung Pung, and because you rehearse at at the same place, and yeah, so so that's how we met and 
So how did the transition come? Because it's really, you know, Millencolin starts in 92, right? Yeah. So I, that's so, like a short period for like the two bands to kind of be like right up against each other. How did that transition kind of happen between the two bands? Well, we started summer 91 and, and everything we were so, you know, inspired and, and and just had all these ideas and there, yeah. were, there were no like frames to what we could do. We were just like open and, and free to do. I mean, we, we had the obvious inspiration of the other bands, other local bands and so we had, and, and you could write songs about, you know, kids in school that you hated, that, you know, that, and and that's what we did, you know, we had, had all these songs about, you know, the the jocks and the, and also the, like, the Ku Klux Klan in the state, you know, it, it was <laughs> everywhere. Wide reaching. <laughs> yeah, everything that we thought, you know, stinked, we would write a punk rock song about it. Yeah. And, and so... And we start in like June and December, we record the first demo, March second demo, and then as I said, May third demo, and then, and uh, and on the third demo, it's actually interesting because when we started, we were into the Swedish singing local bands and Asta Kask Stebesh, but then that year something happens and we get more and more inspired by uh, Bad Religion, No Effects, that. Oh, American kind of uh, Southern California punk rock melodic mm -hmm. style and 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 on the third demo I actually Matthias is singing on the second and the third one but on the third one I because I write most of the songs on on that demo so I just there's one song that I write in in English mm -hmm. and uh, and that's sort of the transition, because th then the seven inch that we recorded later that summer, because I, I sing, for some reason, I sing on that song on the demo, and not Matthias. And then I I tell him later on that, that okay, because I liked how I sang on that song, so like, singing is, might be something for me too. So I just said, okay, from now on, the songs that I write, I would like to sing them. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, okay, but then you have to sing all the songs. <laughs> Like, okay, <laughs> and that's how I actually became the singer. Because <laughs> really? uh, Matthias was singing before in Simon, and, and so later, like a month afterwards, we record the seven inch, and it's all English songs. Yeah. So that's in the summer, and then I don't know if that letter. Because there's another band called Seigman in Norway. Yeah. I don't. Maybe it's the same summer they found out about us and they actually send me a letter like you guys need to change name or or you know because we have this name. And I I'm not sure if that's the reason why we. Does it mean anything or is it just like? It's a candy, you know, like. Oh, okay. Seigman, like. Uh, like toffee or taffy or something or. Oh, what are they like? Like when some something is uh, stretchy, yeah, like, like stretchy men. Okay, okay. That that's that's the can. And it's like I guess it's like in Norway and in Sweden. Or I'm not sure if they base their name on the candy, but we did. I think it's spelled slightly <laughs> differently. It's like one different. Yeah, or something. I think they have one and and, and we have two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, but not we, that it didn't work out in your favor anyway. So. <laughs> now, and I'm not sure if that's the reason. Why we start Millencon and I guess we just want to separate the two things because in Seigman at that time we were actually I think we were 
five, five, four, 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 five members. And then in high school, we just realized that it's me, Matthias, and Eric. We're in the same school. And, and we're like super fans of Bad Religion and NoFX and Operation Ivan. And, and, and we just want to start that kind of band. And, and for some reason, we wanted to separate because I guess Seigman was came from you know the sort of Swedish punk rock style yeah. which was to us completely different because that thing didn't have anything uh, anything to do with skateboarding and this was our you know skatecore you know skate punk band yeah even though that term was not really used at at the point we need, we wanted a band a skate a skateboard band yeah so we had and Eric does all the designs he immediately you know on the first demo was a skateboarding guy and so yeah, like I guess was cover and went from skateboarding videos. That's where you heard like all these American bands. Like were they coming through much. at this point? Or like was No Effects touring Europe? Bad Religion definitely was. I guess. Yeah. 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 No Effects would have been right. It would have been like ribbed. Yeah, but probably not up in. in yeah, that's Europe. true. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'm not sure when. The... I think they did they, their first tour like in '94 or something in in Sweden, right? '95. Those shows were with us then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if they came before. Uh, I doubt it, but maybe maybe they did. But. Yeah. Well, I guess I, who, which brings up a good question. Like, as far as like t international touring bands, like who would have come through the Doughboys? Probably did the Doughboys play? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, like, were there a lot of like North American bands? I guess that's why Swedish. I guess like all the scenes are so distinct and developed so perfectly in their own way is because there wasn't so much like influence like in Canada from American bands coming over here you know like that's why you have like such a distinct like oh this is yeah. Swedish hardcore this yeah. is like well for us we were I mean when we started Million Colin it was all about American stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean yeah. we didn't want we wanted to sound like, I mean early on though yeah it was definitely so, and and I guess that's why we started that band separately yeah because that was, was the we, had, we shared the same vision me Eric and Matthias this is what we want to do. Was there, were there a bunch... Oh, sorry, go yeah. on. No, and it was very obvious that, that, that we didn't want anything to do with, with any other bands than maybe like five bands. Yeah. You were you were you were hardcore at that time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that, that's what, the modern equivalent. Yeah, yeah. that's what, what we were calling the band. <laughs> was yeah, it called US Hardcore? That was the thing that was... Yeah, we didn't know what, what it was, but we saw these American bands. Yeah. They called themselves, themselves US Hardcore, so... Yeah. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we said in the beginning, I guess. I mean, yeah. And after that first demo, I booked the band to a show uh, at the, where we had the rehearsal space. Uh -huh. we, we could use the studio. We built a, a stage in there. And I booked these guys and, you know, the Swedish band The Past. Okay. So I booked them and uh, my sound tech got too drunk, so he went home. So I had to do the sound on them, <laughs> that first show. And then uh, I guess you guys started to, to talk about having a second guitar in the band. Yeah, I mean, Matthias, in the first band, he was never playing the drums, but mm -hmm. he, he, he knew how to play it. And and since it was me, Eric, Matthias, who had this idea of, of Millen Colin, we just figured out that Eric was a guitar player and Matthias, Matthias was the only guy who could actually play, play drums and... And I, w I would sing. That was what, what we knew, and and I guess it didn't turn out that. I mean, it was pretty good on drums, but 
I guess it was a combination because at the time I was more or less because you were one of the other only guys that actually had his own apartment. <laughs> yeah, you were kind of staying there. Yeah, I was more or less living in yeah. your apartment yeah. uh, that time, so we were really close friends. Yeah. Uh, so it was just a nat natural thing to to ask you because you you were the, basically the best drummer in town. But you were, at that time. Kung Pong was kind of, we didn't really know in what direction we should go. Because mm -hmm. yeah. we really were listening a lot more to the crusty, or maybe the late anti-Semex Exactly. Yeah. So to me the EP is like the early sound and the later sound. Yeah. But we didn't write any songs or anything, so we just call it quits and... and I, or, or did you really? Cause I remember it more as we hired you. We you came on Melancon and the other guys. I think they actually saw it as that we stole you from a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we didn't. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> maybe we didn't like say that. <laughs> no equipment. But no. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember going to 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 try out playing for these guys. I brought big. Big bottle of wine and I'm fucking like a gallon show these of guys wine. I can play fast. <laughs> yeah, and I got the job. I got the job. And I guess that's the thing in Sweden is it's like it's not well. Maybe you guys would probably know this way better than I would, but it doesn't seem like it's as much drugs as it is alcohol in punk. Like so many people come on this podcast and talk about like the drugs and the drug scene, but it's like so much is like booze fueled, like fast raging. Yeah, moonshine and a lot of moonshine. Yeah, back then, yeah. I guess because booze is so expensive too, right? Yeah, and I was, I mean, drugs came in there, but I mean, Sweden was all about alcohol. Alcohol, yeah. Of course, yeah. But and then, snood. Snooze. Yeah, snooze. That's. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that, that's like. like tobacco. Yeah, yeah, tobacco. Uh, one time I, on a school trip, I took a bunch of them and ate a quarter pounder and threw up all over the shower. So. Yeah, that's. It was a scared straight moment for me. Yeah. I went back to the snooze. You're not the only one. Yeah, you got it right. Yeah. Now. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so I I wanted to kind of like, were you as into American hardcore or the U.S. hardcore stuff as it? Yeah, I, I think I, when I went to like a small festival in, in Sweden in Sandvik and to watch like Entombed and mm -hmm. those kind of bands, Merciless and and I find uh, I found the No Control album. Mm. That religion, mm -hmm. and I fell in love with that. And uh, yeah, <laughs> all my metal friends they, they they told me that this sounds like like country on on, <laughs> on, <laughs> on forty five, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I I started to like that a lot. But the, I mean, the thrash metal scene was you were listening to punk, mm -hmm. hardcore crossover, and and all that stuff back then. Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't the guy who actually, to me it was Matthias who who actually got all the albums, and I just because I basically uh, when I didn't before I was more or less living in your apartment, we always hung out in Matthias' uh, house where we, his parents live, and mm -hmm. we always stay upstairs in his you know uh, room there, his boy room, and. Uh, and we would, and his parents would actually buy booze for us. Oh, wow. And, and 
we would make orders for <laughs> the weekend. Uh, uh, I guess fi Fridays we would have beers, and then uh, for the Saturday, uh, like a small bottle of booze. <laughs> so we would Friday, Saturday, we would be there drinking, you know, in a safe sort of environment, and listen to all these music, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 that's uh, and Matthias, well, he had. A, all this, you know, bad religion stuff, and 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 later on, no effects, and and bunch of Swedish, American, you know, Dynasty Junior. There was so many bands. We just sat there and, and drank and got ready to leave to that uh, to Maget to yeah Victoria to the venue. Yeah, yeah, and because that that was the meeting point, so we got hammered and went on our bikes like everyone does in. in and, and, and actually, there's at that venue is one of the places you could find the, like the underground stuff. Yeah, uh, the stuff you heard on the like the skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. Movies, uh, videos, and and stuff. Because I mean, most people knew like Ramones and Misfits and and that stuff. But once you you find find the deeper the, oh, cuts, yeah. Then yeah. I mean. So tons of bands. and it's so funny because like skateboard videos. I think that's probably where I first heard Millen calling. Like very first time, like you know maybe like before I even knew Mike that you were related to him. Um, I think it was on a skate video because it was just like such a skate videos were such a way of people sharing like music it was like such a way to like find yeah. out about bands at the time. Like yeah, tons of that. Like right into yeah. the late nineties. Like yeah. it would just be like oh like quicksand. Okay, this band's called quicksand. I'll like yeah. I'll check out this band now or you know. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we told both Burning Heart and Epitaph, all the all the skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing videos, we're on it. Mm -hmm. We want to be there. That's our audience. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it was almost like the precursor to like the Tony Hawk video game. It's amazing how many people I've interviewed that have come on the show, and that was what got them into punk. Like after yeah. a certain point, like it's like yeah, I heard bands on the Tony Hawk skateboarding game. Yeah, and and it was kind of like the skateboarding videos were the precursor to that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So, and I was going to say, like, when sort of melodic hardcore, like the real, like, kind of, like, melodic hardcore sound kind of hit Sweden, was it, like, a divide for bands? Because there's, like, a bunch of bands, like, uh, I remember there's that, I think it's the first Bad Taste comp with, like, A-Stream on it, and, like, uh, Satanic Surfers are on it, and One Chord Wonders, I think they're called, or something like that. Yeah. 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 Sick band. Okay. That band's awesome, too. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then there's like, and then like the Burning Heart skateboard team, where there's like, you know, but there's like definitely like a melodic hardcore sound that kind of hits. Was it dividing with the crusting even more, or was it like people like jumping over and kind of like decharging their hair and <laughs> buying Alien Workshop skateboards and going to shows? I, uh, Did it feel like, or was it not like that at all? I mean, <laughs> I, just put that on. I can't speak for the the crust. I, I mean, to me, it, it, it was. During that time, when we started, we started pretty much at the same town time as a few other bands. Mm -hmm. uh, like up in the north of Sweden, you had Randy, and even before that, you had two bands. But actually, before this style sort of became, you know, big, you had uh, Skimbex and Superdong. I don't even know. It's pretty much the same band. The band, the guys, Kristoffer uh, Åström and Pelle Gunnefeldt and. Uh, Thomas, the singer from Breach. And yeah, they have. Oh, Breach! I know Breach. They have a song on the really fast seven. I okay, 
Okay. Yeah, super dog. You should check that. Yeah, out. We'll yeah, they, they were amazing. Yeah, we were. They blew us away. We're like, this is so so good. And that's funny because like breach is like so, like not that style yeah. at all. I remember that being the outlier on the Burning Heart compilation on yeah. Cheap Shots Volume Two, being yeah. like, oh, this is way harsher than any of the other yeah. songs. Well, they they, and they later on started Fireside. Oh, that same dude from Fireside too. Well, well, Christopher Rosen, Pelagon, the fellow. Oh, that's that's a dude. And the drummer from Randy, uh, and uh, holy jeez, uh, guy Francis, other bands now. Uh, but but, but the three bands. Uh, well, you had, had Randy, you had those bands, but they started Fireside, so they left that scene. Yeah. Uh, I guess nothing happened, or, or they just. Well, I guess they discovered Quicksand. Well, the Fireside record and, just yeah. got reissued on a Canadian label. Like Dine Alone Records just put out the Fireside record on Records okay. in North America, so it had like a big impact here too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Different that's cool. But wow, that's so weird. That I had no idea that it was like those guys were like from that. Like I guess this more kind of like hardcore. Yeah, yeah. it's a town called Lulio. Okay. And with a big scene, uh, race fist or. From oh, that's from race fist. But but so you had Randy. And you had those super long with sort of fireside, so they didn't really play that style later than maybe 92, 93. Yeah. And and, and then, so you had Randy, you had uh, Mill and Colin, and you had uh, No Fun at All mm -hmm. close to us, and then Satanic Surface. I, I guess we, we were the four bands who actually became a genre, you know, a Swedish style of that Californian epitaph sound. And No Fun at All, he had, what was his, he had a D beat band or like a more like the singer, right? He was in like some band that was on. Oh, it was on like a Looney Tunes seven-inch compilation, I think. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Sober? No. I don't know. I can't remember. But it was like a. It was like pre No Fun at All, and it was like a. Well, the, their first singer was Jimmy. Yeah. Who who later started Sober? Well, he started his own band Sober. Okay. And the songwriter Michael Danielson continued with No Fun at All, and they got a new singer, Ingmar. Yeah, I thought that it was the second singer that was like he was in a DB band prior to that. Oh, maybe yeah. Maybe I'm mistaken on that one. Anyway, I don't know. No. But they 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 did, when did they when did No Fun at All form? Like '93 time too. '94. They were probably like a year before us. They were they were always like a bit ahead of us in yeah. the, in the beginning. That they had their first EP out like before us, and mm -hmm. so then we sort of caught up with them like. And we, for a while there, when we started releasing our stuff through Burning Heart, we and started touring a lot. We uh, almost became sort of the same band because we, we were, you know, touring Sweden together <laughs> on weekends for like half a year. Yeah. After we put out our first albums, right, and, and we went to Japan and Australia, on the, you know, together. So we did a lot of things together, and, and uh, yeah. How did Burning Heart Records, like, kind of, how did that whole relationship start? Because, like, you know, obviously the first EP is on Burning Heart in 93, 94, 93. 93. 93. Um, so how did that relationship with Burning Heart start? Because that kind of seems like their rise is, like, Millencolin's rise. Like, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. Well, they were based in, in Fagerstad, which is a, about an hour from, from Örebro. Okay. So we would go there and watch shows. Because they had, they put up a lot of shows, yeah, yeah. international bands and hardcore bands, metal bands, whatever. And uh, we would go there, and Peter, the owner of Burning Heart, 
he uh, he had this label Uproar Records before. Okay. Hard, and he, yeah. had, he had a little distro in his in his wardrobe, so we would buy records from him. I remember ordering like Asta Kask, but he sent me Protestbank instead. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was really probably one of the first places we decided to. That's one of the places we need to get our demo, demo tapes. Yeah. To. And he didn't really like us, but somebody told him that you should do something with this. You yeah. should release like an EP or something. Really? And this you was yeah. So? Th th this was the second demo tape because uh, the first one we did with Matthias on drums called Goofy. Yeah. And then the second one was called uh, Milak. Yeah. He, he, Peter was really, really good finding bands because, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he booked like Green Day, all, all the bands, like the metal bands and the pop bands, Ride, Sepultura, yeah. all these bands long before they got big and I, I think he actually got offered to put out the, the first Offspring album, which wow. turned down. <laughs> Well, but yeah. like you know, for that mistake though, he has so many other successes. Yeah, like, yeah, he found. About, yeah, yeah, like all the bands in Sweden that he found, yeah. they're still like that would have like such. And it's you know, like obviously you would know better than anyone. Like you know, bands outside of America have such a disadvantage of like breaking internationally in punk. It seems like just because like there's such an American dominance, even from Canada, from Canada, yeah, yeah. you feel like that. So like you know, the fact that like you look at all the Burning Heart bands that had impact internationally and it's like unbelievable like very i can't even think of another non-american label where it's had that kind of run of yeah and i mean we we, we sort of started together like at, at the same yeah. time and we the, you know the bands and the people around the label especially peter of course uh i mean made it happen and you know with a sort of perfect timing everything just sort of matched and, and happened at the same time mm -hmm. and uh did it feel like at the time like everything was like was it because it did it all feel like it was happening like as it was happening like did it feel like did it feel like there was like a groundswell like it was a different kind of like could you notice when there was like more kids coming to the shows and yeah yeah i mean for sure when we i mean when we made a second demo we didn't you know <laughs> yeah Understand anything, and and I, and I think Peter didn't want to release us first because he thought my vocals was kind of out of tune and weird. Well, that's that's what he told me. So, so <laughs> but then, uh, but at the time, well, uh, then I actually decided to release the first EP, and when we recorded that one, I think we realized that we had something good going. Yeah, yeah. And then, because then that sort of spread through their distribution and us playing a lot more and, and yeah, yeah, I guess we realized that, that people actually like us and, and I guess our sound was improving and my vocals also a bit and uh, and this is late 93 and and then early 94 we released the second EP which is just two new songs and like four cover songs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Operation Ivy, yeah. Descendants. And it was funny because rotate, skim back and rotate. This would get all these, would get all those EPs in. Like I, like yeah, on yeah. my shelf, I've got like 
all the old CDPs still. Yeah. That they would get in because like they, but it was like they would order them in, at, at and you would get this stuff there, and it was like. And it was crazy because they'd all have this little like Burning Heart logo on the back yeah. of all these records, and you'd be like, "This is like the most perfect scene." Yeah. Another band that I don't know that I always thought was weird from that scene was, and maybe they came a little later. Actually, I know they probably came later. Was Pride Bowl? They had an American yeah. guy singing for yeah. them too. Aaron. Yeah. Aaron Golden. Yeah, he was like a pro wakeboarder or something, a pro surfboarder. Uh, he was surfing, so he actually lived down in Varberg, where we have the best surf. Okay. Yeah. In Sweden. <laughs> Well, I like. Yeah. I honestly, we've just scratched the surface, but I don't want to keep you guys here all day because you have limited time in Toronto and family to talk to. But this has been fucking awesome. Hopefully, we get to tour Australia yeah, sure. again and we yeah, can yeah. do a much longer version of this because this has been awesome. Like we haven't talked about all the other things you guys did, and we haven't even talked about. Nah, that, that, that's how we started. And I, but you said you were asking me about like the sort of changing point. Yeah. And and when we released the second. Uh, AP around that time in in springtime '94, we played at uh, up in Fagersta at Dala. Basel uh, Rocken. Sorry, uh, the festival created by Peter. Okay. And uh, his sort of entourage up there, and that year No Facts played. We played and we played this like really super. Lagwagon played on. War. Yeah. Snapcase. Rancid. Lagwagon. Lagwagon, yeah. So it, it was, and and to that festival, people came from. What a show. All, Did Frodis play that too or something? They might have. Yeah, and, and then, or Sam. Yeah, because I think when Jason I, from Frodis was on, he talked about okay. <laughs> he talked yeah, about I mean, how crazy that show was. This festival w happened like every year for. for yeah, five years or I don't know something like that. Yeah, and this was for us uh, the first time. So it was a massive thing for yeah. us to actually play there, and we played this like the smallest stage, which was just like a, a trailer that they opened up, and but it was, but that that was the first show where we had audience that went sort of berserk and crazy, and we just saw you know people from refuse sort of stage diving and and, and yeah, and, and you know we just realized that and. And Fat Mike was there in a the wheelchair watching us, and like afterwards, like <laughs> I like your EP and whatever he said, and I was like, yeah, we just realized that something is is happening here. And yeah, yeah. And Burning Heart, they, I mean, they had close contact with, with Epitaph. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Burning Heart set us up with a, like a booking agent and and stuff, so it went pretty fast for us. Uh, starting the tour Sweden and then we got like a support tour to Pennywise in Europe what was that tour like it was one of the most craziest tours <laughs> I've been to <laughs> yeah. that's another story yeah, that's another story <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, probably several other stories I yeah. can imagine but from there it sort of took off but yeah yeah, yeah like I guess uh, you know as I say like I wanted to talk to you guys all day but uh, yeah. you have limited time in the city and this room is friggin hot with uh, all three of us in here, four of us in here. Uh, but this has been awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming down here. This is amazing. Oh, you, and it's amazing to get to talk to you. Mike, good to see you again. And uh, yeah, let's, let's talk records now off air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nicola, and thank you, Frederick, for coming on the show. That was an awesome experience to get to do that. And 
you know, maybe I'm going to have to do part two and three and, and have them on separately next time. Or, or maybe Matthias, you know, there's a lot of plans. I love that band and there's a lot more that I want to discuss for sure in the future. And great to see Mike again. Thank you, Mike, for bringing him over. Yeah. Let's, you know what? Live your dreams, kids live your dreams. Cause as I said there, one day you too can have your favorite band from Sweden hanging out in your room that is overstuffed with demo tapes and records. But hey, <laughs> speaking of living your dreams, next week on the show, I got to thank Shara for making this happen because uh, she worked tirelessly to coordinate the two schedules and make this thing work um, because next week on the show, in light of her amazing new book, we have Brick Smith from the fall. If for those of you who are unfamiliar with Bricks, Bricks is a, I don't know, post-punk legend, punk legend. And, uh, she has an incredible story and she has an amazing book, which is due out, uh, out now. And I just finished reading it and it is incredible. It's, it's called her memoir, the rise, the fall and the rise. It is an incredible read. A person who has lived, a memoir-worthy life, as I describe it next week. I cannot hype this one up enough, people. So please tune in next week for an incredible episode with Brick Smith. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did making it. Uh, once again, if you would like to support this podcast, please tell your friends. Subscribe to this, write a review, and rate it, if you will. Also, um, check out Footnotes. Check out Clobber in Time. Uh, check out the stuff I do at Vice if you were very interested in doing that. Damien Abraham, you just search that. It'll come up for you. Uh, find me on social media, at Damien. And uh, that's it. I'll see you on Footnotes. This will be a great Footnotes. Can't wait to talk about Super Dong with Chris. Oh, my God. Check out Super Dong. Thanks, everyone. Go out there and make your own culture, and I'll see you next week. It's a really awkward ending to the show there. Super dong into that. But anyway, fuck it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.